You're listening to the Trace Church Rock Rimmon podcast. Good morning, Trace Church. What a joy to be with you this morning. Man, some of those images were scary, were they not? Like toilet paper over the top or from the bottom. And I'm going, where can you find toilet paper in 2020 or early part of 2021? Anyway, uh, I'm so glad to be with you this morning. I'm Trent. And yes, I'm going to be talking about relationship goals today. I'm kicking off a new series. Specifically, I'm talking about marriage this morning. So before any of you who are single, like totally tune me out, I just want to remind you that what God has to teach you this morning about marriage is for every person under the sound of my voice. If you got a pulse, this lesson is for you. And here's why. It turns out that the same biblical principles that when applied make for a great marriage, also make for a wonderful life. So I wanna tell you a story about a guy I heard years ago who was starting his graduate counseling training program. And he walks up to a professor after the first day of class and he says, Dr. So-and-so, I'm gonna write a book about marriage. And the professor's kind of rolling his eyes like, okay, what's the title of the book? And the guy says, I'm gonna write a book called The Ten Commandments of Marriage. The professor's like, all right, keep thinking about it, keep reading, keep learning, and let's see what happens. So the guy graduates with his degree in counseling and he gets married and a couple of years later, he comes back to the professor and he's like, Dr. So-and-so, I, I haven't written the book yet, but in all honesty, I feel like I need to change the title. And the professor says, okay. And the guy says, I think I should retitle the book Eight Principles for Marriage. Professor's like, all right, great. Keep thinking about it. Keep learning. Let's see what happens. A couple of years later, the guy comes back, same professor, and he's like, Dr. So-and-so, I got to change the title of the book again. The guy's like, all right, what's the title of the book now? And he says, I just feel like the title should be A Few Thoughts About Marriage. <laughs> and a couple of years later, the guy ends up entering into marital counseling himself. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the reality of marriage. Marriage is tough. Marriage is tough. Let me prove my point. If you are married today, and you can do this if you're listening online or watching online, if you're married today under the sound of my voice in this auditorium, raise your hand if you're married. All right, if you've ever had an argument with your spouse, put your hand down, okay? Put your hand down if you've ever had an argument with your spouse. Some of your bad listeners, I'm gonna be preaching a sermon on listening later on in the year, uh, everybody's had an argument with their spouse, right? Because it is totally normal in marriage when two people meet their perfect counterpart in another and commit their lives together, that there's just gonna be some seasons of tension, some seasons of arguing and fighting, and some seasons of struggle. All of that is normal in a relationship. But before I get too far into this sermon on marriage, I do wanna qualify what I'm about to say. And I do wanna say that while seasons of suffering and fighting and arguing are really normal in marriage, domestic violence is not normal in marriage. And sometimes scriptures are used to kind of manipulate or are twisted in such a way to kind of keep people uh, under the control of other people, as tough as that is to say, in the 10 years that I've been a marital counselor, I've seen that a few times. And if that's you, what I'm gonna talk about today doesn't apply just yet. It doesn't apply just yet. 
If, if you're in a relationship in which there's domestic violence, you really need professional help. And I do want to say this. I believe God's plan for every marriage is reconciliation and restoration. And if you have a, a marriage in which domestic violence is or has been present, God's plans for you are the same. He wants to reconcile and restore your relationship. But if there's domestic violence in your relationship, you need to get some help. And if you will, and you'll really commit your relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, then he will give you the relationship that he intends for you to have. So how can you get the relationship that God intends for you to have? What's the secret? And today I'm gonna share with you the secret to having the kind of relationship God intends for you to have. And let me just start by saying, I'm not gonna share anything with you that's brand new or that you've probably never heard before. One of the guys who mentored me over the years uh, said repeatedly to me, Trent, repetition is your friend. Repetition is your friend. Repetition is your friend. And none of us learned the multiplication tables the first time we saw them, right? Like it took years for some of us to realize eight times eight is 72. Can I get an amen? Okay, all right, all right. Yeah, so, so uh, to have a great relationship, the process is simple. It's just not easy. And here's the secret. The secret to having the relationship God has designed for you is to become, to think, to feel, and act more and more like Jesus every single day. That's it. That's the secret. And if we look at the gospel stories, which are the stories in the scripture that teach us who Jesus was and how Jesus lived, we would see two prominent features of his lifestyle that really are the key ingredients to your relationship's success. And here they are. The first key is to learn to fully love God, to love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. And the second is to learn to love your spouse the way Jesus loves them. So let me talk about that first principle for just a moment. How can I really love the Lord God with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all of my strength? I wanna go to a scripture that I feel like paints this picture pretty well. And if we look at what the Bible teaches, what we see is that if I'm really gonna fully love God, which is marriage requirement number one, then I'm gonna seek complete and total joy and satisfaction in God. In Colossians chapter two and verse 10, the scriptures teach it like this. In him, meaning in God, you have been made complete. He is the head over every ruler and authority. This is one of the core messages of the scriptures, that when you are united to God through Jesus Christ, the son, you are complete. Every void in your life, every de deficit, every conspicuous absence is filled by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. To love God with all your heart means to acknowledge that in God, you are made complete. What does that lifestyle look like? It means that we read God's word 
It means that we fellowship with God's people. It means that we live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, that we are on mission for God's kingdom. All too often, ladies and gentlemen, in marriage, we don't look to God to complete us. We look to our spouse. Many couples I talk to, if I really could do an x-ray of their heart, would say to me, Trent, I believe I'll be complete when my spouse really makes me feel like the center of the known universe. Other people would say, Trent, I know I'll be complete when my spouse makes my wildest sexual fantasies come true. Others might say, Trent, I know I'll be complete when my spouse and I can communicate perfectly and we're always on the same page and wires never cross. And, and this is what's tough about this is when marriage is going great, it really does feel like it completes us. And this is what we call in relationships the honeymoon phase. And in the honeymoon phase, everybody in the relationship is working really, really hard at editing out their flaws. And in the honeymoon phase, man, we all feel a little bit like our dreams are gonna come true. We really do. We feel this boundless sense of energy. We feel this unlimited potential. And then time passes and we get exposed to our spouse's flaws and we realize that we didn't marry the second incarnation of Jesus Christ and that our spouse really is terminally human. And those flaws end up causing pain and that pain influences people to seek pain relief. And often in marriage, what that looks like is we withdraw and we self-protect and we grow distant from our spouse we grow distant from God and we feel isolated and alone. What's unfortunate about that is that pain in life, ladies and gentlemen, should drive us to God, not isolate us from God because God will never hurt us. God will never let us down. God will never betray us. God is kind. God is just. God is merciful and God is graceful. And if you will run to him, you'll find that your life is lacking nothing. And it's not until you run to him that you'll be made complete. That's why that's so important in relationships because you can't find your complete and total joy and satisfaction in anyone or anything other than God. And that's how Jesus toughed it out through all the miserable things he lived through because he was totally and completely satisfied in God. Second marriage requirement, and this is that second quality that Jesus embodied in the scriptures is to fully love your spouse. To fully love your spouse, that's marriage requirement number two. And to fully love your spouse, you gotta love your spouse as Jesus loves them. Now, here's the way most human beings operate. Most human beings operate on the mindset of reciprocity. 
right? And reciprocity, we describe in a Latin phrase that you might have heard called quid pro quo. So today you learned a little bit of Latin if you learned nothing else. And what quid pro quo means is something for something. That's reciprocity. And what this mindset states is that I'm willing to do something that's beneficial for my spouse as long as I get something good in return. And what the love style of Jesus says first is that love is altruistic. It's altruistic love, meaning I'm willing to do what's in the best interests of my spouse regardless of the benefit to me. That's the first theme we notice in the way Jesus loves others. And if we're gonna love our spouse like Jesus loves our spouse, we have to love with an altruistic love, have a willingness to do what's in my spouse best, spouse's best interests regardless of the benefit to me. Our culture says, that's not the way love works. Culture says love should benefit you. Culture says love should feel easy. Love should be rewarding. Love should revolve around what you want, when you want it, how you want it. Love shouldn't feel like work. And our culture says if love feels like work, then it's not meant to be. And that's exactly the opposite of what the love style of Jesus teaches us. I want to look at John chapter 13 and verse 1 to show you what this looks like in the scriptures. Altruistic love. The first quality of loving like Jesus loves. All right, so in John 13, 1, Jesus is in the upper room and he's having the last supper with his disciples. And so they're all up there and the scriptures say before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, this is my favorite phrase here, he loved them to the end. Now let me tell you what's about to happen, and some of you know this story. When Jesus loves them to the end, it's not like from this moment to the last moment, everything's butterflies and uni unicorns. Jesus' closest followers, who are actually more like family, are gonna deny publicly that they ever knew him. Some of Jesus' closest followers are gonna doubt whether or not what he taught was true or not. Those closest to Jesus are gonna withdraw from him, they are gonna abandon him, and they're gonna hand him over to be murdered, which is the ultimate betrayal. And Jesus loved them anyway. They doubted him, and he loved them. They denied that they knew him, and he loved them. They abandoned him and they loved, and he loved them. They handed him over to be murdered, the ultimate betrayal. And he kept on loving them. He loved them to the very end. And you should too. When your spouse doubts you, love them anyway. 
When your spouse fails to meet your needs, love them anyway. When they withdraw from you, love them anyway. If they betray you, love them anyway. Never stop loving them, keep on loving them, and love them till the very end, regardless of the benefit to you. That's the style of love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we want to have the marriage God's intent, we got to love God completely. We got to love our spouse like Jesus loves them. And that first means love them with an altruistic love. If we look at what Jesus' love style is like in the scriptures, we see that it's also a sacrificial love. A sacrificial love. What sacrificial love means, according to Jesus, is have a willingness not only to give my life for my spouse, but to live my life for my spouse. I wanna say this, I think marriages in America struggle in part because Christians are comfortable. I don't know if you realize this, but across the globe, there are millions and millions of Christians that because they identify as a follower of Jesus could be killed. And maybe recently in the political climate in the US, Christians here have been more persecuted, but comparatively speaking, man, we're comfortable. If your non-Christian neighbor realizes you're a Christian, the most likely reaction they're gonna have is indifference. And so for a lot of us, really, when we think of sacrificing as Christians, we think of like missing a football game on a Sunday afternoon to attend a church function, seriously. Or we think about having to attend a group on an evening that we'd otherwise be doing something else, or we gotta give up a few minutes in the morning to read God's word, and it's laughable, comparatively speaking, how little sacrifice is required in the West to be a Christian. And here's what I want you to know this morning. The greater your level of comfort, the lower your tolerance for genuine sacrifice. And what happens in marriage is that sacrifice isn't just something that is called for from time to time. It's demanded time and time and time again, and because most of us are so comfortable and we have such a low threshold to tolerate genuine suffering, lots of people abandon ship when the relationship starts to feel like work and demands my sacrifice day in and day out. And some people will push back on me with this, which they shouldn't because I have a PhD and I know what I'm talking about, <laughs> all right? And they'll say, and, and it's mostly husbands, and I'm from the South, so this is usually how it works. Well, I mean, Trent, uh, you know, I, I'd be willing to give my life for my spouse any day, anytime, anywhere. I'd take a bullet for her, man. And look, now, that is chivalrous, all right? And the, and the guy gets credit for that. It's an honorable thing to be willing to give your life in a moment for someone. But what made Jesus' sacrifice at Calvary so marvelous wasn't the fact 
that he just gave his life in a moment. What made that sacrifice so wonderful is that for 33 years, Jesus lived a sinless life for you so that his sacrifice could make you righteous in God's sight and he could become sin for you, he who knew no sin. It's the 33 years of perfect living that make the sacrifice on the cross so marvelous and so wonderful. And let me just tell you, Jesus wasn't constantly getting reimbursed for the sinless life he lived day in and day out on your behalf. He was consistently willing not just to give his life for those he loved, but to live his life for those he loved. Let me give you two scriptures here uh, that, that, that represent the point that I'm talking about. Ephesians 5.25 says this pretty plainly. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave, listen to this, gave himself up for her. That's taking a bullet in the moment, yes, on the cross of Calvary, but it's living every day for her. That's what makes that so significant. And ladies, it's not just that men are demanded to do this. Women are too. First Peter chapter three and verse six uh, says, like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord, and I think what that means is, ladies, you're supposed to identify your husband from this day forward as your Lord. Can I get an amen, gentlemen? No, that's not what the scriptures are teaching here. <laughs> One guy's listening. Let me give you the backstory real quick. So Abraham and Sarah, patriarchs, Old Testament, they get married. Apparently, Sarah's pretty beautiful. And they're walking through enemy-occupied territory. Abraham's intimidated, and he's like, Sarah, if our enemies see how beautiful you are, they're gonna try to take you and make you one of their wives. And they'll kill me if they realize they're married, that we're married. So he said, don't tell them we're married. Tell them you're my sister. Which is weird, right? And obviously wrong. And what we expect Sarah to say when Abraham tells her that is, oh, dude, you are crazy, man. I'm not telling him. That's an obvious lie. Why are you a liar? Why do you have bad integrity? Why don't you just spiritually lead this? That's not what she says. As a matter of fact, Scripture does not even record a verbal response. What? And the narrative goes on. If you read the Old Testament, she does exactly what she's asked. Now that takes some sacrifice, ladies. It's a willingness not just to give your life for your spouse, but a willingness to live your life for him. If we look at the scripture, sacrifice means at least two things. It means service. A willingness to serve my spouse, a willingness to meet the needs of my spouse, a willingness to thoughtfully consider ways I can support my spouse. And when any of those ways come to mind, I have the heart that's willing to act. Sacrifice also means pursuing my spouse, especially when you're not getting your way. 
sacrifice means pursuing your spouse even when you're tired. It means putting effort into the relationship even if it's hurting you. And according to Jesus, even if it feels like it's killing you, it means living your life for their benefit. Not just giving your life in a moment for their life. And the third, the third way that the love style of Jesus manifests itself in his story, altruistic love, sacrificial love, and forgiving love, forgiving love. And in marriage, according to Jesus, forgiving love, listen to this, church family, means letting go of any hurt, any hurt your spouse has caused regardless of whether or not they've asked for forgiveness or changed behavior. When we get hurt in marriage, the tendency is to keep score. And that's hard to admit for many of us, but every single one of us does it. And the more we get hurt, the more deeply we engrave that pain into our relationship ledger. And then whenever we feel a similar amount of pain in the present that reminds us of pain we've engraved in the ledger of our past, we re-experience all that past pain in the present and our pain gets compounded. And compounded pain in the present is one of the most toxic qualities of a ledger of hurt in marriage. That ledger will ultimately lead to resentment, bitterness, and can eventually lead to divorce. What does Jesus teach us to do when we get hurt? He teaches us to forgive. I want to take a look at a scripture, Luke 23, 34. This is hard to read because Jesus is on the cross of Calvary in this moment and he is literally breathing his last breaths. And as he's on the cross being crucified, he is looking in the eyes of the people that have just beaten him humiliated him, tortured him, and are killing him. And he's looking at their eyes and he's breathing his last breaths and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Let that sink in for a moment, church family on the cross, dying last breath, Jesus says, Father, forgive them? What have you said in your moments of deepest hurt? I don't know what you've said, but I know what I've said. And it doesn't sound anything like that. Trace, I want to suggest to you today that to practice the love style of Jesus 
whenever you get hurt, you should utter this phrase, Father, forgive them because I already have. You don't meet my needs, Father, forgive them because I already have. You've said a hurtful word, Father, forgive them because I already have. You've abandoned me or betrayed me, you should say, Father, forgive them because I already have. Church, God does not hold your sin to your charge. You should not hold the sin of your spouse against them. So let it go. Let it go. What does that mean? That sounds really sexy. It's a platitude we use often in our daily language. What does it mean really to let it go? What that means is update the ledger. Let the Holy Spirit sand down the deep engravings of the past pain and make it brand new. Erase the scorecard. Make the decision that if past hurt pops up in your mind in the present, that you immediately think of something you're grateful for today and say that phrase, Father, forgive my spouse because I already have. I want to I close, but I want to do something in closing. And we may have to bring the house lights up a little bit to do this, but I want you to pull out your phone if you got it. And I want you to point it right at me. And I want you to pull out your phone. I want you to point, point it right at me and do not take a picture. It'll break your phone. <laughs> All right, so pull out your phone, point it right at me. All right, once you get this beautiful headshot right there on your phone, there is a button on your camera. Look at it right in your face. There's a button on your camera that if you push, will flip the image around. Don't look at me any longer. Push that button and flip the image around. Look at your phone, point it at me, flip the image around. And who do you see when you flip that image around, ladies and gentlemen? The person you're looking at is the person who today can radically transform your marriage. The person you just saw is the person that should take responsibility today for having the kind of marriage God wants you to have. How do you do that? How does it start? Man, fully love God with all your heart, with all your soul and mind and strength. And love your spouse as Jesus loves them with an altruistic love, with a sacrificial love, with a forgiving love. If you do, God will transform your marriage and it'll be everything you couldn't even imagine it would be and more. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, just come before you so thankful for your word, thankful for Jesus. God, today was nothing new. It was just a reminder of what we all know to be true. And I ask in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would help each of us own this personally. God, let us completely and fully love you and let us love our spouse the way Jesus loves them altruistically, sacrificially, and with an attitude of forgiveness. I just pray your blessing over each marriage in this room, each marriage watching online, and every marriage that Trace Church interacts with from today until the return of Jesus. It's in his name I pray, amen.